heart for all of your goodness that you've shown to us. Lord, every breath, every moment we have is from you, Lord. Everything we have is from you, Lord, and we just bless you for that, Lord. Lord, I ask that your word would come this morning, Lord, and we would respond to it. We would be changed more into the image of Jesus, Lord. You just convict us and encourage us, Lord. Make us more like Jesus this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Incredible worship. A little hot on the mic here. Incredible worship this morning. Thank you for joining us. What a privilege it is just to be able to come to church and worship him. As we begin this morning, we're glad to have Pastor Terry back. He was actually in Washington, D.C. at a pastor's conference, um, and he safely made it back, but he was pretty close to where the shootings happened um, in Washington, D.C. And uh, many of you know that this Thursday we have a mission team leaving from our church to go to Africa, actually to the place where just over the weekend where there was the large shooting that happened in the church. And I just kind of want to share with you, hopefully it can be something that speaks to you of discerning the will of God. Um, My wife and I, from the very beginning, we were asked to go on this trip. We never had a clear yes or no. It was just something we had been praying about and seeking God about. And and he really was silent on the issue. He He didn't answer us. And so what you do in a moment like that... Um... What we decided to do is continue to pray, continue to seek from God what he wanted, spending time in his word. Um, But ultimately, it comes to the decision of, is God against it? Is God against us going to the mission field and speaking to a group of people about the gospel? No. And so we continued on that path, continuing on the path of, of being obedient until he closed the door or gave us more discernment. And so continuing that... Um, We found out through the midst of that that my wife and I were pregnant. And so then we were thinking, well, you know, continuing moving forward, nothing unbiblical about going, but we needed to be cautious, safe. We took precautions with food and and water and drinking and, and things like that, continuing to move forward. I received a call from someone this morning actually going on the, the team with us there, and um, they just said that they had talked with somebody spiritual in their life, and you know they weren't afraid of losing their life for the gospel, but they were questioning um, how wise it was to go. And they were saying, you know, if I was called there as a missionary, then I would be obedient, but I'm, I'm not called there as a missionary, but I do ministry here. And that was something to where it just kind of spoke to me uh, because we haven't had a yes or a no. It's been silent. And moving forward in this, my wife and I have been continually wanting to be obedient to God. And so I just heard that and, and, you know, that just really struck a chord with me of being obedient or not being obedient. What is that? He hasn't told us explicitly, but he has called me to a ministry here. And um, we were praying about that. I called Amanda and I talked with her this morning. One of the things she said, I just read the story last night of the the 40-something people that were killed, most of them being targeted as Christians over there. Um, 
And she said, I saw the story and, you know, we've, we've heard from family and friends about the pregnancy. You shouldn't go because you're pregnant. And we're like, well, that's not, you know, a good enough reason for us. We were continuing moving forward. But she said she saw it last night and she, she loves Africa. And uh, she's just said, you know, I asked God to speak to you and clearly give you an answer as the husband and to lead our family. And so she just said, I, I prayed last night that God would speak to you. And then this morning at church, I got that phone call and God's beginning to speak to me. And she said, you know, I want to be obedient to God. And it's the same thing for me. We want to be obedient to God. Um, biblically, it says we're supposed to be wise. It says we're not supposed to just go put ourselves in a situation to become martyrs. It says as you're living your faith, if you are in that instance, you know, we would willingly give our life for the gospel. We would willingly say, take it. Um, and so we're just kind of struggling, struggling with that a little bit uh, right now. So I would ask for the church body, and as we go into the message, if you can just pray for the team, pray for some things we're thinking about. Um, first and foremost, we want to be obedient to God. Either place, we're going to be doing ministry. And, and so both you know, we believe in the sovereignty of God, but we also believe that um, he hasn't said a clear yes or no, and, and we don't want to be unwise with our life. And so that's one reason why, you know, I don't go do dangerous things just for dangerous things for fun's sake, is because I value my life to share the gospel with people and to just say it's all up in God's hands, it is, but he says we should be wise. And so I just encourage one, one other thing I would say um, is I ask you first and foremost to pray for us. Um, after service, um, if you could come and just say you're praying for us, I, I don't want to be overwhelmed with 50 to 100 opinions of you should or shouldn't, or this is what I felt, or this is what God spoke to me, unless you very clearly God's spoken to you, because I want to discern the will of God and not 50 opinions. And so if you've ever been in that situation, I just ask you to hold those, spend some time with the Lord in prayer first, because that's really what we need to be doing and in the Word. And so as we begin, I'd like to pray for the victims of the families in D.C. and also over in Africa, and also for our mission team and, and for the sermon this morning. So let's pray. God, we want to be obedient to you in all things. God, we praise you that we can discern your will, that we have your word, that you do speak to us. God, we thank you that we can do ministry wherever we're at and that we will continue doing that. God, we pray for the families in Washington, D.C. That, that were killed. God, we also pray for the families and, and many Christians that were specifically targeted over in Africa at the mall. Um, God, we pray that you may be glorified in the midst of all of those disastrous things that happened. God, I pray that you may speak through me this morning. God, I want nothing else but to be used by you. And uh, God, we will be obedient to that. Pray that you give me the words to say. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I would ask if you had your Bibles or your iPads or your iPhones or whatever electronic device you used this morning, if you could open to Philippians chapter 3 to give a recap from last week while you're opening there. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, the Bible calls it, you've put your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, the Bible says you are saved. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that wrapped up is called salvation. We looked at seven things last week that I want to recap this morning have nothing to do with you and your relationship with God that many times people tell you or you feel. So I want to recap those. Number one, your salvation is not 
by or through a ritual you've done sometime in your life. It has nothing to do with a ritual that you've done. Not about baptism or raising your hand or praying a certain prayer or fasting for so long. It has nothing to do with any of those things. Number two, salvation is not by race. Any person of any race, color, nationality, God can save. Number three, salvation is not by ranking. Number four, your salvation is not by a tradition that has been passed down from your family or because you grew up in a Christian home or a Christian nation, if we can call it that. It is not through tradition. Another one, salvation is not by your religion. It does not matter what denominational church you go to. What matters is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ based upon the authority of his word for his death, burial, and resurrection. And so it's not based on, well, I am this religion, or I am, or I grew up, or I was confirmed, or this priest told me I was saved. It has nothing to do with any of that. If it does, you're basing your salvation on something the Bible says is worthless. So base it upon the word of God alone. Six, salvation is not by sincerity. I gave a quote last week by the Pope where he just talks about sincerity, the sincerity of your heart. If you're sincere, anyone can get to heaven. That's not true. You can be sincere about a lot of things, and it has nothing to do with your salvation. The Bible says sincerity of your heart does not matter. It's a sincerity of your heart in repentance and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that matters. Number seven, it's not by legalistic righteousness. It's not a matter of how good you try to be versus how bad, or your children, or your parents. It's not a matter of, well, I did more good in my life than I did bad. The Bible says if we're doing it for the wrong reasons, all of it's bad. And so we can't earn ourselves to heaven. This is what the Bible says about our salvation. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they have received salvation. They are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. What an incredible, incredible thing it is that as believers in Christ, we've been given a new life, and now we can pursue God and not only sin. And so if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what should that look like and what does that mean? Well, it's an inward transformation that should, it's a key word, should lead to an outward transformation in your life. So when you see someone and they are proclaiming to be a Christian, but they're outward external appearance is all sinful, we should automatically conclude either one, they are a disobedient Christian and we should call them out on that. But that's the exclusion in scripture. That's the exception. The first thing we should conclude is they are not a follower of Christ. And we see later in scripture, the Bible says that any man who hates his brother is a murderer. And then he says this, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. It's not a matter of that they hate their brother, they, they negate their salvation. It's saying because they hate their brother, you can know there's no salvation in that man. The same is true in our life. When we have internally received Jesus Christ, there are things that begin to happen externally. And there are many people who try to live the Christian life and they've never had an inward change. And I can tell you, if you're trying to live the Christian life and you've never had an inward transformation, it's an exhausting, exhausting thing. Because you're trying to meet a standard you were never met 
meant to begin to meet in the first place. And so that is something very, very important that we need to realize. If you're in that cycle, you're always going to try to do better. You're always going to try to manipulate and manage this sin. And I think that there's a lot of Christians who are not living in a freedom of sin, but in a repression of sin. And you're just trying to manage an issue. And I want to tell you, management alone of an issue or a sin in your life is not victory by and through the Holy Spirit. Management alone of some issue or sin in your life is not victory by and through the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's built upon your ability and your flesh to do good works or to not do bad things. And that's not the gospel. The gospel says you never could, you never will be able to. Christ did it for you. As we learned last week, Philippians 3.3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. That means we put no confidence in the good we can do or the bad that we've done. All of that doesn't matter because Christ came to deal with that. So we put no confidence in measuring and weighing what's good and bad in our life. In verse 9... It says this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith. So Paul is saying here, it's not about what he could or couldn't do. He understood his body, his mind, his, his heart. They were all weak. I have a quote here to begin the message as we jump in to verse 12, and it's by Matt Chandler. And he says this, many Christians are living not in a freedom from sin, but in a repression of sin. One is a treasuring of Jesus that makes sin lose its power in your life, while the other one is spending all your vitality and energy trying to manage a behavior which is exhausting. And it fundamentally shows that you don't understand the gospel. And I've lived in that. Maybe some of you have lived in that before. He goes on to say, to understand the gospel is to understand that it is Christ's blood and righteousness alone that sets you free. Beginning in verse 12, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it gives me personally so much encouragement. It seems many times when we read Paul, we kind of forget that he's a human and that he can actually fail and make mistakes. And so we see Paul in his life when he's threatened with death he responds, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then later we see him, he's beaten. And then he, he responds to these people beating him, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then they throw him in prison because they couldn't, when they go to kill him, you know, he gets his way of glorifying God. They go to beat him, they throw him in prison, and then what's he do? He converts all the guards and the whole palace, you know, here's a Jesus Christ and the whole town. And so it's like anything they throw at Paul he seems to turn around and glorify God with. And so we see here from last week, I want you to listen to the desire of Paul's heart, and then we're going to jump in verse 12. Paul's heart says this, I count everything as loss for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's what Paul was about. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul and it should be our desire 
is to share in Jesus' sufferings, becoming like Jesus in death. That by any means possible, Paul could see Christ honored more in his life. Paul wanted the sin that he struggled with to die every day in his life, more and more. And he didn't do that by trying to manage it. He did it by trying to learn and know more about Jesus Christ. Don't focus on the sin, focus on Christ. Beginning in verse 12, and I love this. After he says all of those things that are the desire of his heart, Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Isn't this encouraging? Paul, the guy who always seems to get it right, the man who God used to write most of the New Testament, who was taken up to some form of heaven, who always seemed like he had the right thing to say, somebody comes up and he asks him a question, Paul automatically turns it into a witnessing opportunity and shares the gospel and that person gets saved. Paul here is saying, not that I've already obtained this. I strive on. And he gives a couple of reasons why. Paul says, I haven't arrived where I want my relationship with Jesus Christ to look like. Sometimes, it seems when we fail God, or we feel like we let God down, in that moment, we need to realize that it was never us who held God up in the first place. When we feel like we just let Him down, listen, you're putting too much emphasis on yourself, because you never held Him up to begin with. And we need to understand that because there, there are going to come times as we're living the Christian life where we fail and we did it in a, big, in a big way. And so Paul doesn't allow himself to stay there. This was the guy, what did he do? He was persecuting Christians. He was killing Christians, seeking out the church. He was there and he was condemning Stephen, the first martyr, to die. So Paul had a lot to be ashamed of, but he doesn't stay there. He continues on, he says, but I press on. And then he goes, in spite of that and because of that past, I don't stay there, but I press on and make it my own. We need to ask the question, to make what my own? What is it he's trying to make his own? This it that Paul is talking about, he wants to make his own, should be the same we want to make our own. This it is to know Jesus Christ more, to be in deeper fellowship with him, to have sin driven away in our life. And I want us to look at the rest of this verse. Paul shares with us how these things can actually happen. And to understand this, I want you to understand first and foremost that Christ died for you and for me and for all of us at our worst time. It wasn't when we were memorizing Scripture and we were good with God. No, it was at our worst that He died for us, which means a lot. Because now we're not going to base our relationship on our motives or our heart or, or how we're acting at the time. He died for us when we were at our worst. And you're not in a better relationship or in a worse relationship based on your actions. Just the same as when you're doing the right things with God. You're not all of a sudden in a better relationship with God. You can have a different type of fellowship with God, and sin in your life can break that fellowship. The same as my wife and I. We're married. We're entered into a covenant with one another. And so when I get mad at her or we get into a fight, our fellowship is definitely broken, but our marriage is not. 
the same thing is true with God. And so this doesn't seem to make sense to us in our world, but that's because it's not about our good behavior. It's not about our righteousness because we're not good and we have no righteousness. It's not about those things because you have no righteousness. As Christians, you have been given, the Bible says imputed, you have been imputed a righteousness given to you by Christ. And this is what Paul meant by, but I press on to make it my own. Why is it that we can press on? Why is it that we can continue when things get tough? Because Christ Jesus has made you his own. Do we understand that this morning? Christ Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, has made you his own. Why did he do that? Why would he have done that? I want you to think about it. What have you done in your life that deserves Christ? Perfection. Because it's not about your strength or power. Listen, he has made you, if you're a follower of him, part of his family. He has forgiven the things in your life that should have been condemned. My sin, your sin, our sin, which we have all done and continue to do often, is deserving of God's wrath. We need to understand that because it's fundamental. The question is often asked, well, why does God allow so many bad things to happen to good people? We can apply it to Kenya down there or in Washington, D.C. Why does God allow those things to happen to good people, even Christians? Well, that's a fundamentally wrong question. We need to be asking the question of why does God allow good things to happen to us, bad people? Because it's fundamentally different. There is not a good person, the Bible says. We have all broken God's laws and commands, and all of us deserve the wrath of God for our sin that we know we shouldn't do, but we do it anyways. And so to say, why would God allow that? We should be asking the question, why does God allow me to have money? Why does God allow me to have life? Why does God allow me to have friends or a family or clothes or a car and more importantly, why does God, why has he allowed me to have salvation? When we understand fundamentally what it means that Christ made us his own, and we understand the gospel, it's going to change us from the inside out. We're going to look at things differently, and we're going to start acting differently. It's an internal change that produces outward experiences. I want to take a moment we still have more to go, but I want to pray and praise God for those of us he has made his own. And if you don't know Christ, I encourage you, while we're praying, spend some time with him. If you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you, cry out to God and say, God, thank you for what you've done. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Come and save me. Let's pray. God, we are so unworthy. God, we are so unworthy of so many things. God, it's not about us being good. We are not good. God, we've broken all of the Ten Commandments by hating, by lying, deceiving, thoughtful, lust, gossip. God, those are things that are daily for many of us, and they're in our culture all the time. 
God, we've broken your law, but thank you for saving us. God, thank you that we can press on because you have made us your own. If you have not done that, if you had not made us your own, God, we wouldn't. We wouldn't be where we're at. There would be no point of living, but God, you are changing us. And God, we praise you for that. I pray for those who don't know Christ here. God, may they, may they call out to you even now and say, Lord, save me. Thank you for what Christ did in his death and burial and resurrection. God, may you continue to, um, to speak through me as we continue on. In Jesus' name, amen. So he says to press on and make it his own. As I was putting together this message and I shared this with our staff here at the church, I was thinking to myself, so what happens when I mess up big time? You ever had that happen? You just mess up and you feel like, God, what were you thinking when you decided to save me? You know, and, um, and then I started thinking, how can I truly understand the gospel? How can I say that I understand the gospel and then allow sin to reign and live in my heart? To say I understand the gospel and then to allow that to happen. Have you ever felt that way where you're just kind of questioning, am I? What am I? I know this to be true, but if I knew that to be true, why do I do these things? And so what happens when we say we understand the gospel and we blow it? And we allow sin to rise up and control us. Meeting with a, um, a group of men on Saturdays, we go through discipleship together. And that was just something I was praying to them or asking them to pray for me for is, you know, I'm not qualified to teach this message. Nobody is. But it, it's been something I have to work at because what I'm, as we're going through book by book and verse by verse, I have to hit these verses and talk about that should be the desire of my heart and how much do I do it? And when I don't, coming back to God and saying, God, help me desire you more. So what happens when we don't understand or when we say we understand and we blow it? It's this, when we sin and we understand the gospel, we will begin to take even the smallest sins in our life and we will begin to take them more seriously. We will be broken over our sin and we will turn and run to God, not because it's built on us, but because it was built on Him. We will press into Him and His righteousness because we don't have any. We're going to press into Him. But for those who don't understand the gospel and they're trying to live the Christian life, when they fail and they sin, they run from God. And you might have seen this happen in somebody's life. They mess up big they run from God. What is that doing? What is that showing? It's, it's showing this. When you run from God because of sin, or you run from church, or you don't want to be around believers anymore, and, and you, it's because, one, you're either trying to live this Christian life and you're not a Christian. And, and you realize, I can't act it all out because none of us can. That's why sometimes people leave because they feel uncomfortable and they, they can't act that. And we shouldn't be acting. But it shows when you run from God that you are basing your good standing with God, your relationship with Him on your actions and your own self-righteousness. See, when I run from God because I messed up, I'm basing it on me, that I'm close to God because of the way I act. 
And if I act good, I'm close with God. If I act bad, I have to run away from God. And he has unconditional love for those who are in Christ. And I need to understand when I do sin, I need to run to him and say, God, I'm so sorry I've done this. Listen, I don't need to continue to ask for forgiveness. Why is that? Because when God saved me, he saved me of my past sins, my present, and my future. He saved me at my worst, in the future, in the past, in the present. And so I can say, God, thank you for making me your own because you knew I was going to do this. And I don't have an answer of why I deserve that. And it's more of a reason that we can sing and praise him. And so we should praise God for that. But we press in to make it our own. In verse 13, if you would look with me at verse 13, it says this, Brothers, I do not consider it that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. He says, forgetting what lies behind. For Paul, that was murder, hate, destroying the church. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your past failures and sins died with Christ on the cross. That's why we live a new life, not our old life. In Romans 8, 1 through 3, if you want to turn there, Romans chapter 8, 1 through 3, it says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're a Christian, when God looks at you, He doesn't see the negative things that you've done in the same manner as before. You're a new creation. He sees righteousness by the blood of Christ, not by your works. And so he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. If you'll turn back with me to Philippians chapter 3, Paul is not just calling on you to forget your past, but to forget your past and to do something. He's, he's telling you to turn. That's like repentance. It's not about just repenting and being sorry. It's about being repentant and sorry and turning to Christ. Paul is saying the same thing. Forget your past and to do something. He says, strain forward to what lies ahead. And Paul doesn't leave us guessing to what lies ahead in Scripture. It says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize. The prize of one day, because of what Christ has done, I'm going to be able to stand before him in a perfect place with my family of brothers and sisters in Christ, seeing Jesus Christ face to face where there is no more sorrow, there are no more tears, and being able to experiencing worship and fellowship with a perfect God who's perfect in everything. That is the prize. And what is, what is 50 years, 80 years of this life when we sing about 10,000 years and millions of years where it's eternity speaking. That's why it is so fundamentally important that you take it seriously, your relationship with Christ, because you're not promised tomorrow. None of us are. And we should live like 
today could be our last, and we are supposed to be doing this all for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul says to press on. And then in verse 15 he says this, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul says this is how the mature Christian should think. That what we are after is not managing sin or not doing this or not doing this. Listen, if you have a sin that you struggle with and you're like, okay, I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to. What am I focused on? I'm not focused on glorifying God. I'm focused on management of sin. Don't, don't, don't. And when I'm focused on that, you know what most of the time I do? I gossip, you know, or I do whatever sin that is. And, and Paul is saying, focus on Christ. What we need is more of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in this passage for a while, so... If you think I'm just going to run through it real quick, you might as well turn there. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. And this is what it says. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And then it says, in these things, once... You too walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off your old self. Remember, you're a new creation in Christ. With its practices, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We can do all of these things. It says to do all these things, but the most important verse in that passage is, is verse 3. Look at verse 3. It says to put these earthly sins to death, but verse 3 is actually what tells us how to do that. And then in verse, starting in verse 1, Colossians 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, Philippians 3.13 says he made you his own. They're talking about the same thing. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated seated at the right hand of God. And in verse 2, it says this, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. So he gives us a list of don't do these things. So our focus should not be, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Our focus should be on verses 1 through 3, which he just told us to do. And because we do these things, we no longer do these sins. And he's saying, if we have been saved then we should set our minds on Christ, not on the garbage of the world. And we do this because of verse 3. We can do verses 1 and 2 in Colossians because of verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is yours, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So it's because Jesus Christ has made me His own that I'm going to focus on Him that he did this work in me. I'm going to focus on him and not focus on the garbage and the fleshly things in this life. And so when you understand that, it will begin to change the way you live. Our life becomes purified 
Not by our desire not to do bad, but by our desire to know and please our King, Jesus Christ. And when we desire to please Jesus Christ more than we desire to please ourselves, or more than the desire to not do sin, that's when the stronghold of sin in our life is destroyed. The Puritans had a name for this, and it was called the expulsive power, the expulsive power of a greater affection. What that meant is that when Jesus Christ becomes the greatest affection in your life, that everything else in your life loses its glow, loses its power in your life because your focus is Jesus Christ and I want to glorify Him. And when we lose focus of that, that's when we fall into to sin. An example of this is abstinence versus purity. This could be sexual abstinence, maybe abstinence from a substance or a personal sin that you struggle with. Abstinence is a continual focus of saying, no, no, I'm not going to do that. But purity is a continual focus of saying yes, yes, yes to glorifying God. And they're two very different. See, purity leads to a right motive, a right motive of purifying and and loving God, while abstinence leads to selfish idolatry of self. And so this path of transformation doesn't occur by your hard iron acts of the will. It occurs by loving Christ more than anything else, in your life. So here are a couple things that we can do. I want to leave you with a couple of things that we can do. We need to constantly be aware of some things that stir our heart and affections for Jesus Christ. We need to be aware of what those things are because there are some things in my life that drive me into a closer relationship with Christ, my fellowship with him. They grow that. And there are other things that take that away. And so we need to be understanding of what these are. So here are a few things in my life that stir who I am to love Christ more. Number one, early, early mornings when it's still dark outside. Some of you don't even know that that exists, okay? But early, early mornings where it's still dark outside. And this was forced um, into me at college. And uh, I don't do these things, this whole list, as much as I would like to. I have not yet attained to where I want them to be. But at college, we had a class, and you got graded on your devotional time, and it was a journal, and prayer, and your Bible time. And you had to keep a journal daily of your time. And so what I would do is I would go out from my dorm, and there was a lake, and there was a stump, you know, that was cut. And, and that was my stump. I went out and I sat on that stump, look across the lake. There's a fog there early in the morning. And just spending time with God. That was something that stirred my affection for him. Writing down prayer requests. I still have that journal. And my prayer request, God would answer them. And the next day I would go back and read my prayer request of how he answered them. And one of the things there is I didn't have money for college. And I needed $1,000 by the end of the week. And I wrote that in there. Two days later, a check was received for $1,000. Two brothers at church woke up the night I prayed, and each felt that they were supposed to give $500. I didn't say a word to anybody. I just wrote it in my journal. And a check was sent. I got this check, and 
I can only remember these things because I wrote them down. And it was just God working. And so that's something that stirs my affection is spending time early morning with him. Now it can be as simple, because I don't have a lake and a stump in my backyard, but now it can be as simple as sitting at my coffee table or my kitchen table with a hot cup of coffee and maybe a snack for breakfast and sitting there with the word of God. Doesn't it sound nice? But a lot of times we're sleeping and we don't make time for it. Number two, something that stirs my affection and my love is interacting with people who do not know Jesus Christ. Why is that? Well, for one, it makes me thankful that he has saved me, that he's changing my life, that I know where I'm spending eternity. So spending time with those who don't know Christ, it helps me to pray for them, pray for their salvation. It puts a burden on me to share the gospel with them, good things. Here are a couple of things that can rob my affection. This is just me personally. Your list may be completely different. My phone has internet on it. It can rob me of my affection with Jesus Christ. I could be playing a game, feel convicted. I was playing a game this morning and got to church late. You know, I just was sleeping in bed, woke up an hour early, and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to hang out and, you know, get on my phone and read the internet. And then where did time go? And it was something that I could have done other things with. And so this is something that I struggle with, probably all of us struggle with. Facebook is another one, TV, sports, the sports channel, right, can be even a really big one. And so I'm not saying another one, staying up really late. If I stay up really late, then I can't wake up early to spend time with God. Or if I just sleep in all morning. Sometimes those are nice days, but a lot of times when I just sleep in all morning, I get up and I just feel kind of spiritually worthless. And so those are things for me personally, and I'm not saying that those things are inherently evil. I'm just saying that many times they can take away from things that are good in my life. And so that is for you to weigh on your own scale of what you need to do and what you don't. Here's a couple more things that stir my affection for Christ evangelizing and sharing the gospel with lost. To answer your question, yes. Every time I do it, I'm nervous. I never have joy going up to complete strangers and talking with them about the gospel. It's not something like I'm so excited to do. Every time I'm nervous, but every time I've done it, God has blessed it. And he's grown me, or he's led somebody to Christ, or I've learned how to do something differently or better. So that's something. Number four, a meal with brothers and sisters in Christ who love the Lord. Getting together with fellow believers and sharpening one another. I just got to do that the other night where we just had great discussions around the dinner table. And it was all about spiritual things. Growing, sharpening one another, looking at scriptures. Something that grows my affection for Jesus. Number five, Prayer with brothers and sisters who know Christ. Story of last Sunday, I was over here talking with a group and I looked across the sanctuary and over here in this corner, there was a group of college-age men and they're from Norway. And there was another member of our church and they were together, huddled together, and they were praying for our church. And, And I look over and it was just like a glimpse of what God wants for us. After the service, I went over there just to to stand and begin praying with them. All their eyes are closed. They didn't know I was there for a while, but 
They're praying for them to receive the message that was heard today. That they may receive the message and they may live it out. Instead of just getting up and going and trying to figure out where they wanted to eat, they actually were listening and and asking God to help change them. They were praying for our church. They were praying for you. They don't live here. And so it was just convicting of we need to be doing this as a body. They were praying for the leadership of the church. And some of them are gone. Some of them are still here today. But it was just God speaking to me, that's what I want for the members of our church. And so I encourage you today, if you feel led by God, grab some people. Maybe they're your friends. Maybe you don't know them. Maybe you just got to know them. Say, hey, let's pray after service. How great would that be if we just had some I'm not saying let's be legalistic about it. You have to pray. We're not judging you if you do or don't. I'm just saying if you feel led to do that, go for it. And so it was just so encouraging. I encourage you if you feel that you may not be a follower of Christ or you have questions or maybe just the message really spoke to you today or there's something you want to talk with Pastor Terry or me about. After every service, we are available And we will spend as much time with you over any issue, be it I don't know Jesus, to I know him but I'm struggling, to I want to go through discipleship or I want to be baptized or whatever it may be. I will be available right up here after service. Pastor Terry will be available in the back. We have been called here by God to shepherd, to teach, to preach, to love, to pray for you. And so I just want you to know that we are available We press on to make it our own. That's what our goal is. As we end, thought of a fitting song. We already sang a chorus of it once, but a fitting song, it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. It's the same thing I've been preaching today. Because it says this, turn your eyes upon Jesus. You look full in his wonderful face. And when you do that, it says the things of this earth, which are our struggles and sins, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so we're going to end and we're going to be singing that song as just a worship to God as we close the service. And so just make it your own prayer and praise to God that we're going to focus on worshiping and glorifying him. And we're we're going to pursue him. And yes, we're going to struggle. Yes, we may fail, but he has made you his own. So let's continue on in the gospel. I'll pray, and then Luke will come up and lead us. Let's pray. God, we do praise you that we can look upon you, that you have saved us. God, what a miraculous thing that is. God, we thank you for who you are, for what you've done to us. God, we thank you that Jesus Jesus Christ endured the cross for us, that he died was buried, but most importantly, that he rose from the dead and he conquered death. He conquered sin, and now we can be alive in Christ because of him. God, we come to you now. We just want to sing to you. We want to praise you because you're the only thing that matters. God, speak to hearts today. I pray for people to receive salvation for the first time. I pray that bonds of sin may be broken. God, help us to turn to you. And every time we mess up, just to run back to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
your eyes.